Welcome to ESA Explorers, an official podcast of the European Space Agency. In this podcast, we take you on a journey across Europe and into the cosmos as we explore what it takes to go to space with the many people who make it happen. I'm Stephen Ennis, co-hosting with Ali Kohler, and this is ESA Explorers. This. Nie. Ato. Seven. Seis. Fünf. We're back with another episode all about the European robotic arm, or ERA. This marvel of machinery will soon be on its way to the International Space Station, where it will play a vital role in continuing space station construction, supporting science, and allowing astronauts to access the Russian segment of the space station's exterior. In our last episode, Ali spoke with ESA project manager for ERA, Philippe Schonigans, who gave us an overview of just what the European robotic arm is and its journey from Europe to space. In this episode, we add an astronaut's perspective with ESA astronaut André Kuipers. André trained with and tested the European robotic arm in neutral buoyancy facilities in Russia. So, without further ado, here's Ali and André. Okay, so today we have with us André Kuipers, who is an ESA astronaut of Dutch nationality and He's been quite involved with the European robotic arm. It's been part of his spaceflight career. So welcome, Andre. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Thank you very much. And so just to start with, can you recall your first encounter with the European robotic arm? Uh, yeah, I think the first encounter was actually on paper when I saw uh, the, the drawings of how the robotic arm was supposed to work on the Hermes. So a long time ago, I was already intrigued by this robotic arm on a European spacecraft and not realizing that I would later on uh, even work a bit with it. So that was was a long time ago already. The first time I saw it for real, first thing I saw was the control panel, actually. We had to work outside, perhaps, uh, with the robotic arm. That's the idea. So I saw this, this console, which was pretty rough because you have to work on it with gloved hands. So I remember that I was, it looked very interesting to see that one. And then the arm itself, well, I saw parts of it. I also went well, to Dutch space to see it uh, for real. And uh, and later on, of course, the wet model. So uh, several pieces at different times. And so you're actually one of the few astronauts who trained underwater with the robotic arm in Russia. Can you tell us how was training with an 11-meter, 600-kilogram tool for the space station? What was that like? Very interesting to work with it. Of course, it's a challenge. First, we did it with normal scuba gear. So the normal bottles. And uh, so it's in uh, Star City. We have uh, a deep pool. I think it's 10, 12 meters deep where part of the space station is located. And then also the wet model of the era was underwater to see if we could reach to reach all the, all the handholds, reach all the joints and cameras, if it could be used by our colleagues in space later on. Uh, so first in scuba gear to operate, for example, the mechanical structures in case you need a mechanical override. And then later on in spacesuit. And that's, of course, a complete adventure. It's a small spaceship in which you get with, uh, with your communication and, uh, and your air supply, etc., etc. And of course, yeah, the thick cloths that you have to see how you can reach it, if you can be safe, if you can be tethered everywhere. You do it always with somebody else. Eh? It's always teamwork. You never go out uh, alone. 
So together uh, with my colleague, uh, a Russian colleague, we went underwater. And for hours, uh, we were following all the tasks that we had to do to reach all the different places, have comments on which things could be improved, for example. And it was very nice, uh, very interesting. 11 meters, yeah, it's a, it's, a long, uh, it's a long device. And it worked very, very well, actually. I think it was very successful, these uh, different underwater sessions. So those underwater sessions, were they tests? Were they designed to refine the robotic arm? Or were you practicing for spacewalks that you might perform? The, the history is long, but for a while, it was also the idea that during my second flight, so this was, the training was between my first and my second flight, this underwater training. And of course, I and many probably had the hope that being an ESA astronaut of Dutch origin, I could also in the, install and operate the arm already. But as we know, in spaceflight, things come later. I did experiments on my flight that, uh, that I did not expect because they came from another session. And that's the other way around as well. This was mostly not preparation for active operation, but to see if everything was in the right place. If a handhold was too far away to reach safely, it had to be uh, moved, for example. So that was the, the important task by me. And uh, also Thomas Reiter was also involved there uh, to see if he could reach all the structures in case you had to use a mechanical override, for example. So it was not preparation for an actual uh, EVA but uh, mechanical testing of the, the layout on the era. Okay, and so we, we've spoken to Philippe, who's the project manager, and he's told us a little bit about the functions of era. But for you, what do you think is so exceptional about this robotic arm? Well, of course, we needed the robotic arm on the Russian side. Presently, they only have uh, the, the Strela. Eh? This is a, say, a mechanical arm. And Canadian robotic arm cannot reach, cannot walk over the Russian segment. So it's important to have it there. It's a beautiful piece of machinery, of course, with the cameras, uh, the brain, the, the grapple mechanisms of two sides, which can walk over the Russian segment. Very accurate, five millimeters, can move with, what is it, 10 centimeters per second. And it's strong, eh? it can move things around of 8,000 kilograms. So it's a pretty important piece of machinery that we can use. It makes it safer for the uh, spacewalking cosmonauts. Uh, you can operate it from inside and, and that's an interesting one, also from outside. So during a spacewalk, uh, the astronauts, cosmonauts can operate it with a console on the outside of the space station. So the, that's uh, something new. So even if there is only two people on board, which we had in the past, then they, if they're both outside, they can still use the robotic arm. It doesn't have to be operated from by uh, a third crew member from the inside. I think it's a fantastic addition. There's already some uh, good plans to use it to install solar panels and a platform. So I look forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it's going to bring some real new functionality to the space station, especially accessing that Russian segment. Um, and I heard that it can also be pre-programmed or controlled in real time. So it's got a bit of flexibility with that as well. Absolutely, yes. Because I talk now from the astronaut point of view, but you, in, in, indeed, it's, a very, it's an intelligent machine. It can be pre-programmed, operated in different ways, and that makes it very uh, versatile. Can you tell us a little bit more or share an example of how the European robotic arm might be used once it's on the station? 
The era um, is versatile, so it can reach a lot of places on the Russian segment. We have attachment points, several places, so that's, that makes it a very good tool for uh, inspections on the outside of the space. Go to places where it's very hard or maybe even dangerous for the, the cosmonauts uh, to go. Uh, you can be attached uh, to, the, to the arm, so then you have a fantastic uh, reach, about 10 meters extra for, uh, to put an, uh, a cosmonaut on the arm. So for inspection, to reach difficult places, and it's, it's an extra hand, so an extra possibility to move things around. Big equipment, up to 8,000 kilograms, it can, uh, it can move. And it will be used, uh, the, the first task that will be, uh, it will be used for are the installation of uh, solar panels uh, on the Russian segment, and also uh, the installation of an outside platform on the new NOKA science module. So the first tasks are already defined, and we will see it uh, being used uh, several times in the, in the near future by the Russian cosmonauts for all their different tasks. Okay, so you've talked about how it can be controlled from inside the station and outside the station. How would an astronaut control the robotic arm from outside the station? How does that work? But the other arms, the Japanese arm and uh, the Canadian arm, uh, there has to be an operator inside. But with ERA, the, the two cosmonauts are, that are outside can also operate it with a big console that is outside of the spaceship. This is interesting uh, development because in the past we have seen that uh, the, the space station was occupied by only two people uh, after the, the Columbia accident, for example. And then you could not have get help from the ERA uh, if there was no third person on board. So in this case, they can use it and operate it with their gloves on from the outside. So, uh, of course, it's, uh, it's all bigger knobs and well protected so that you don't accidentally uh, touch, uh, touch a button or a knob. So it can be used that way. Presently, they use the Strela, uh, this mechanical arm. So they, they already use arms to move things around or put people in a far out place. But this time we can do it with the era. Very smooth, very safe. Uh, so this is a fantastic possibility. You can operate, you can program it, you can operate from inside, but also uh, from the outside by the cosmonauts themselves. And so the other thing about ERA is it's 100% made in Europe. All the design and development is led by Airbus Defence and Space Netherlands. So as you say, as an ESA astronaut of Dutch origin, does that make you proud? To be honest, when I joined ESA, I became very European. I think that's a very nice aspect of working for a European Space Agency. Nationalities disappear a bit, but it's, of course, very nice that uh, that is this Dutch company playing this uh, leading role in this project. So in that sense, I'm very, uh, I'm very proud. But most of all, it's a very good thing for, uh, for Europe, for the European Space Agency, to have this, uh, this beautiful addition in robotics. And so I think I've also seen a photo of you with a mock-up of the European robotic arm that you brought to the station. Any idea if that's still up there? Can you tell us about that? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, that was indeed in uh, say, the early days uh, of my first flight, with the hope that I might uh, install the real thing on the second flight. And yeah, this is a nice model. Actually, I don't know when, if it came back or not. It might very well being that it came back, but I'm, I'm not sure where it is at the moment. I mean, it's not in my possession, at least. So <laughs> it, 
maybe it's still there. It could be, but uh, I think we have to investigate where it is at the moment. We have to investigate. Perhaps we asked Thomas Pesquet or a few people around here and see if we can figure out where it got to. Uh, but you're also going to attend the launch in Baikonur. So what are your expectations about that? Are you excited to be at the launch? Yeah, that is very nice. Anyway, a launch is fantastic. And this is a Proton, so it's very, a very strong rocket. I've seen several launches of uh, Soyuz when I was backup for other flights. And uh, this is, of course, a, very, a strong rocket bringing up uh, the MLM and the, the Nauka, the new science module, onto the Russian segment on which uh, the ERA is attached. It's very nice to go back to Baikonur, uh, where I've been several times, of course, uh, in my spaceflight career. Yeah, it's a very reliable rocket, so I have a very good confidence that, uh, that we have a fantastic launch. So I look forward to, uh, to see it launch. And then, of course, I look forward to see it being installed and operated on board, also by ESA astronaut. Uh, Thomas Pesquet will, will do uh, uh, some installation work. And later on, uh, Samantha, Cristoforetti and Matthias Maurer, they will actually uh, work with it and operate it to install, like I said uh, earlier, solar panels and, uh, and a working platform. Yeah, I look forward to the launch and then to the pictures of being it operated in space. Yeah, I can imagine lots of excitement to look forward to with its installation and, and commissioning. So we'll look forward to that as well. And the launch and installation of ERA is a first for Europe and Russia in space. So how would you define that cooperation? You talked about working with your Russian colleague on the testing underwater. Can you tell us a bit more about your experiences working with Russia on ERA? Like I said earlier, I, I, I might be Dutch, I might be born in Amsterdam, but then uh, your world gets bigger and bigger. Uh, so you become a European. You work for a European space agency. And we work together with the other partners in the space station. So uh, United States, Russia, Canada, Japan. So that makes it very nice to work with all these different cultures. One moment you talk with the, with the Japanese professor, the next one with the Russian technician. That makes it very nice. And uh, I was trained for flights with uh, the Soyuz. So I spent a lot of time in Russia, Star City. and. Cooperation was, was always great. So very good friends, good colleagues. I see them on a regular basis. And yeah, I think the, the cooperation is for the era is already a long one. Uh, it was in, the, in the past, we had bilateral contacts between ESA and, uh, and Russia. Cooperation and working together, it always works fine. And I think uh, this is strengthening the bond between ESA and, uh, and Roscosmos. And how's your Russian? I imagine traveling on Soyuz a couple of times, you'd be speaking Russian quite well. Oh, сейчас это очень трудно, потому что я был много Slovak. Well, I'll take your word for it. Well, I said at the moment it's uh, it's pretty difficult to talk Russian. I forgot a lot of words because I was already in my forties when I had to uh, learn to be a co-pilot for a Russian spacecraft. I couldn't have imagined that in the, in the past. So, um, and it's all technical Russian and abbreviated. So abbreviated technical Russian. So it's it's a new language. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's important is, Yeah, you have to understand all this abbreviation in Cyrillic. And that works. After a while, you know how to operate the Soyuz. And you can, dis you can communicate with your commander on the ground. They try a bit English, we try with Russian. So it works fine. I will never be a fluent Russian speaker, so I advise every, every child to learn as much languages as possible. 
but a Porsche, if you don't use it on a daily basis, you you probably lose lose a lot of the daily Russian. If I see a procedure for the Soyuz, I can read it easily. So this is actually two different languages. The the, the mm-hmm. language that you use to operate the spacecraft procedures, and then you have the real Russian. And there, if you don't speak that a lot, you 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 lose a lot of the the details. So I have to uh, I have to catch up. I have to uh, refresh it. You have an opportunity coming up. <laughs> That's Absolutely when you're in Baikonur. <laughs> yes, and I will use it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks, Andre, for talking us through the European robotic arm and your experiences. I can imagine after this, all this time, it would be really exciting to see it actually leave the ground and go to space to do what it was designed to do. So really appreciate you sharing your experiences with us. It was a pleasure and I'm looking forward to it. A beautiful piece of robotics and a great addition to the station. That was a great chat with Andre. I find the design of the external control panel and the fact that this arm can even be controlled from outside the space station to be really interesting. Working with bulky gloves on in the vacuum of space is no easy task. And when robotic arms are involved, one needs as much precision as possible. For more on this formidable challenge, here is the ESA era project manager, Philippe Schonigans. I think from the design point of view, one of the main difficulties was strange enough, not so much the robot in itself, but this external control panel that we have uh, that can be used to control the arm. So what the Russians very much wanted is uh, if, if you're on a spacewalk, you're outside floating on the, uh, near the ISS, and you have a control panel, you can see the arm, actually. You're not relying on only cameras and laptops. You can see it with your own eyes. And then to control it. So we had to develop a control panel, which was compatible with the um, spacesuit. And that turned out to be quite more difficult than, than expected. And uh, there were lots of details which, which, were, which were hard to do. For instance, with these very, very large, clumsy gloves, then it is already very difficult to even feel that you've thrown a switch because the glove is pumped up to like the 0.7 bar of pressure, but outside is zero. So it's like having a balloon on your, on your hands. So... So we had to make sure that you could feel the force of the um, of throwing a switch. And then we had to make sure that when you would throw a switch that you would not accidentally throw another one. So we have like little fences around the, the various switches. But then we had to make sure that you could not get your finger trapped in, into one of these uh, small fences next to a switch. And so you would not be able to get out anymore and not be able to enter the ISS because you had uh, an EVA, extra, uh, an era control panel firmly attached to your hand. So we had to keep care of that. And then... The next thing we noticed that we had yellow warning LEDs, which you cannot see because the Russian space suit has a gold visor uh, against uh, the um, UV lights, and uh, it reflects all the yellow. So it could not see this, these LEDs. So we had to change colors, and it only, these things only come out when you actually test it with a real um, EVA suit. So that that was difficult, and um, then we had uh, only very limited uh, set of displays. So we had to change a little bit the, uh, the um, operation control of it so that it, uh, the astronauts could deal with uh, so little information. It was tough. And the next thing was testing is, is tough because on Earth, the um, robot arm collapses under its own weight. It's, um, it's designed to move very, very large payloads in weightlessness. But that means that if you test it, you actually do have the weight. So you cannot easily test it with a, an eight-ton payload. So it was tested on... Um, on air bearings, on a flat floor, and we had used um, 3D uh, simulators and an underwater training model because underwater you do have some of, let's say, weight, the weightlessness effect is uh, almost always trained with, uh, with EVA astronauts underwater. 
Another thing we heard from Philippe is that despite the long road to launch, there has never been a shortage of people eager to work on ERA's development and see it launch into space. We're sure that there will be many ERA engineers, past and present, holding their breath as it takes off for the International Space Station later this month. I know Ali and I will be watching, and I believe the launch may also be shown on ESA Web TV, so keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, don't forget, you can always share your feedback with us on Twitter at ESA Spaceflight using the hashtag ESA Explorers, and there is plenty more ESA Explorers content waiting for you on your favorite podcast platform. If you liked what you heard today, please don't forget to subscribe and share so we can reach even more space fans. Thank you for listening to ESA Explorers. <laughs>